What's up, everybody? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Ah, happy Monday to everybody out there uh, who went to work today and had to get up and go do that grind. Uh, I know how it feels. I did the same. So happy Monday to you. Uh, we got a good uh, episode lined up for you tonight. Mitch Smiley, who is a formerly incarcerated individual who did 39 years in prison. And, uh, man, he went in at the age of 17 and didn't get out until he was 56. So it's 39 years he spent locked up in prison. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to contact Mitch after a one of his followers had pointed him out to me. And I brought him on the show. I thought his uh, story was interesting and his uh, way, you know, his uh, climb back to redemption. He's been out for four years now almost. So I'm really interested to hear his story and also to uh, take a look at his, uh, you know, art that he's doing and kind of what he's doing now since he's been out and uh, how his life has adjusted and uh, where he's at. So definitely good show for you. Uh, if you are watching on Facebook, do me a favor and like and share this video anywhere else. Same thing. Uh, if you're on the podcast platforms, when this thing goes out to the uh, iTunes, Spotify, and all the other ones, we will be, uh, yeah, share that and like that too. Appreciate it. Um, we'll, be, we'll be right back after these messages. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Hey, Mitch, what's happening, brother? All right, how are you doing? Good, good, man. Thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, coming on the show and hanging out with me tonight and uh, sharing your story and your hope and inspiration and you know all those things that come along with uh, you know when you get out of incarceration and you uh, are ready to start your life over and, and, and start a new path, right? Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's a privilege. <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about uh, your story, you know, how did you end up, uh, in prison at 17? Well, you know, it doesn't just start with the incident itself, but, um, oh, by the way, it's 38 years to, uh, not 39, 38. Okay. All right. Yeah. 38. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, six months and some change. You know? <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, the quick and easy answer is, you know, I, I was involved with in a fight in a bar I have two co-defendants. Um, one of them was getting beaten up, and I stepped in, and somebody else stepped in with a knife and stabbed the person that was uh, 
fighting with my uh, my other co-defendant, and he died. And um, all three of us got arrested. Um, I was 17. They were 24. And uh, they offered me and the guy who was getting beaten up, a manslaughter, and he offered the other guy second-degree murder. That was a deal that was offered to us. But, um, <clears throat> you know, they didn't make it like an easy deal, like, hey, plead guilty and be on your way to prison. It, it was... Uh, it was a package deal, so all three of us would have had to take the deal or no deal unless you wanted to get on the witness stand and say what your part in the crime was. Uh, and my lawyer, you know, told me, look, you know, it's not just, you know, your part in the crime. Once they get you on the witness stand, they can ask you whatever they want. So, and you know, getting on the witness stand was kind of out of the question anyway. So we uh, we went to trial and we all got found guilty. Uh that one guy got an extra year for personal use of a weapon during the commission of a crime. And we were found, I was found guilty of aiding and abetting by vicarious liability. By vicarious liability. Yeah. yeah. So in layman's term, what does that mean? Um, well, I used to go to board, you know, I, I had to go to in front of the parole board because I was given a 15 to life sentence. And so you have to go in front of a parole board and I'd say, Hey, I'm an aider and a better. And they'd say, yeah, you're aiding and abetting by vicarious liability. So I'm liable for the actions of the people I was in, involved with this incident. I'm liable for their actions, that, you know, because I guess because you make a choice to get involved with something with other people and then something goes wrong, you're just as liable for it. Um, you know, vicarious liability. So I'm liable through them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Vicariously, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a little, that's kind of weird because you were the youngest one. You would have thought that you, you know what I mean? You would have been able to at least work something out there, right? Well, I'd been to Youth Authority already twice. Um, You know, I I was, uh, you know, I grew up in a, uh, you know, um, a narcissistic mom, an alcoholic stepfather who is uh, kind of violent. And, uh, you know, I was a latchkey kid. And then, uh, you, know, you get disrespected at home and, you know, slapped around, beat down by your stepdad. You know, you go looking for for other, uh, you know, acceptance or just some kind of a uh, little bit of uh, respect or whatever uh, elsewhere, you know. And so um, other guys that I hung out with probably had the same upbringing as me as far as their home life. Uh, we used to run the neighborhood. We used to ride dirt bikes and we used to ride, uh, you know, our our bicycles, excuse me, all over the neighborhood, piece of art paper just fell. And, uh, you know, we, you know, we, we kind of looked up to the guys in the neighborhood that were in motorcycle clubs and they were like our mentors or, uh, whatever you want to refer to them as. And, you know, we wanted to grow up and be like them, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, you know, fighting and, violence was kind of uh the norm i mean i learned it in home and i learned it uh you know in school and uh because uh you know i didn't have parents that interacted with me a lot and taught me a lot of shit um uh other than you know you don't let people put their hands on you uh violence was just kind of the norm and so uh fighting uh you know beating people down that was uh that was like, uh, I don't want to say a badge of honor, but it was accepted. And it was like, hey, you know, 
yeah, Mitch just beat up so and so, and you know. Um, yeah, it was a different. It was a different time, actually. It was uh, yeah. like how old were like what year was that? Well, I went to Youth Authority like 74, 73, 74. But um, like when I was in uh, seventh grade, you know, I I I had an issue with my PE teacher. Uh, I used to go out to PE and then I would come in and get my hair wet and get dressed, and because you got a shower after PE, you know. And, but I would ditch out and go smoke weed, you know, before my yeah, next yeah. class. And the guy's like, you know, take a shower, smiley. And I go, oh, you know, I already did. And he, and he got in my face. And I go, hey, fuck you, old man. And the guy slapped me in the face and made my nose bleed. So uh, I went in his office and asked him why he hit me. And uh, he said, because you, you cursed at me. And, you know, I busted him in the mouth, you know. Uh, I split his upper lip open. And, uh, you know, I got... Uh, I got in trouble. The police came, you know, and then um, <clears throat> my dad showed up and told the police, you know, that that guy didn't have any right to slap me. And if they were going to arrest me, they were going to arrest him because he was going to go beat the guy's ass, too. You know, so <laughs> I mean, you know, so yeah, de- definitely yeah. a different, different uh, uh, era. It was a different era, you know, um, whether it was good, bad or otherwise, I mean, you know, you, you learn the hard way how things are, you know, and, and uh, you learn how to stand up for yourself. And, um, you know, I, and I just figured, well, you know, the guys in the neighborhood that I looked up to, I mean, I like motorcycles. They were in the Harleys and they were they were just good, you know, and they'd be like, hey, youngster, what's up? You know, they would always, uh, you know, greet us with a, with a smile, a handshake and, you know, treat you like a young man, you know, and, and teach you how to fight and show you the bikes and that, you know, so I thought that shit was cool. We all did. And, uh, yeah. And so you, uh, reading through, uh, the guest form that you, that you, uh, sent, um, you, you mentioned that you, you know, dabbled in drugs like meth and, and all that and that kind of stuff too. And actually it was when you were doing it, the same thing when I started, it was crank. Yeah, it, it was that old school biker dope, stinky right. shit that you could smell in your nose three days after you did a line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, you know what? You know that did that play any part in you know your you know your fault or did you do, did you get involved with that once you were inside or did you have well, you know like i grew up in san diego so san diego's like on the border of mexico so yeah, obviously yeah. All, a lot of the drugs that go into the united states go through san diego mm-hmm. or if you live in texas somewhere they might go through a town down there but california i mean we're right on the border we had yeah. you know we have Pisces walking across the border, walking through my neighborhood, you know I mean? So yeah, all yeah. the drugs came through. <clears throat> I started smoking weed when I was about 12. When I was 13, I started taking acid, taking whites, you know, which is speed pills yeah. you know, little, and reds, you know, rainbows, which is barbiturates. They don't even make anymore. I don't think, um, uh, you know, quaaludes. Yeah. 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 You know, old, and, uh, old school stuff. Yeah, and, um, you know, I went to Youth Authority. I was 13, turning 14, I think. And, uh, um, you know, like I grew up in a place that's predominantly white. Um, we have uh, Indian Reservation on the outskirts of town, Barona. 
And then we had the Mexican guys I grew up with. I didn't really know they're Mexican, you know, because they were just my friends and they were just like me and them had long hair and they dressed like me and we rode motorcycles together and we kicked it together. And so there was some Mexicans, mostly white and some Native Americans. And then I think we had like two black families in my neighborhood. So that's kind of how I grew up, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. But yeah, drugs were a big deal, especially weed, LSD, pills. And, uh, you know, looking back, you know, as an adult, <clears throat> you know, I'm pretty well grounded now. And uh, I can say, you know, I was just a fucked up kid that didn't know how to deal with life. And, and drugs were uh, a way that I thought would help me deal with life. You know, I didn't look at drugs as an escape. I just looked at drugs as, you know, when I was high, uh, or drunk or whatever, um, life wasn't so fucking bad, you know? And, and also, uh, drugs brought a connection with my friends and I, we all started using drugs around the same time. Most of my friends were older, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. uh, you know, and then I went to youth authority. Um, uh, I was in Fred C. Nellis. Then I went to always close past the Robos. Um, my first term, um, like I was in a dorm, like four white dudes, 30, 35 blacks, 15, 20 Mexicans. So we were, you know, a minority mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, violence there. You know, we were always, uh, you know, the, uh, the target of, uh, violence, you know, beat downs, yeah. rat packs, all that shit. And that was, you know, you gotta remember that was the black Panther thing was still going on, you know, fuck whitey, all that shit was happening and and uh you know the street gangs from la the black gangs like the crips and bloods and stuff were just they were just still kind of new yeah yeah uh, you know i didn't realize i was doing you know i mean i, I had bullshit crimes you know fighting stealing drugs you know knickknack shit uh you know i was doing time when i was 13 14 with guys that were 19 20 23 years old that were in there for murder there were gang members, uh, both, you know, Hispanic, you know, Mexican, Chicano dudes and blacks uh, that were in there for killing people and shooting people and doing armed robberies. And, and uh, you know, every now and then you meet one to sit down and bullshit with you and you'd be like, fuck, this dude's like, you know, <laughs> he's a killer. killer you know? So I'd never really been exposed to that um, in my life until I went to Youth Authority, you know, so. I thought, all right, you know, and, and so it's, you know, you kind of, at a young age, you start to, to develop a tough skin, you know, kind of, really, you, you kind of take on the, whether you believe it or not, you take on the mentality and outward appearance, like, ah, oh, that ain't shit, you know, that ain't no big deal. Yeah, so it must have helped you a little bit within the transition when you went to, you know, prison. And yeah. You know, because when I when I think of a 17 year old going to prison, I think of a 17 year old that hasn't really done serious time yet. And, yeah. you know, first walks in eyes wide open. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. this is the real deal. You know what I mean? But yeah, you've, you already had a little bit of hardness to you. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you had some experience inside and in that mentality yeah. already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, I went in there with a six to nine month sentence and I got accused of some shit and I decided I was going to escape. So I, I, I beat down a counselor, split his head open. 
uh, big chessboard that you're making wood shop. I beat some counselor's head in with it, and I was gonna knock him out and take his keys. Big, you know, that didn't work out. So I got a couple extra years, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, when I got out of youth authority. I only stayed out about four months, and I went back for, you know, I beat some guys up in a pool hall, and uh, I went back for another year, and I went to Preston, and so. They had Northerners, Southerners, Blacks, Whites, you know, that's the first time I ever uh, saw that. And that's the first time I ever saw somebody get stabbed inside an institution, you know, setting. Um, I saw this guy, the, uh, you know, Chicano dude, st he stabbed three dudes on the way to Chow, and he stabbed one, stabbed the other guy, and chased the other guy around the building and stabbed him. And I was just standing there going, wow, you know, because you got to act like, ah, you know, nothing's going on. But my mind, I was going, wow, it's some serious shit, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, what, so, what, what, yeah. <laughs> what did did you were you did you did it put any fear in you, or were you just like, Whoa. no, I kind of knew, you know, I was between them, you yeah. know. But uh, you know, we had a couple race riots there between the whites and the blacks, and you know, it was just uh, it was always somebody running their mouth, somebody didn't like it, and they want to do something about it, and so you have a riot, um. And that's where, you know, I first got uh, uh, where they would shoot us with these, uh, uh, the tear gas us, or mace us. And they also had these little pistols and it had four barrels and they have a plug in the middle and it shoots little tear gas bullets. Oh, wow. But they would take the plug out and they would just shoot the bullet at you and they'd try to shoot you in the head and the bullet would bust on your head. And, you know, <laughs> it was... Uh, yeah, so, you know, you get used to that, man, doing a lot of time in the cell. Preston was all cell living for me. Um, but now I'm dealing with guys that are talking about selling heroin, shooting heroin, and, you know, righteous gang shit. Guys, uh, <clears throat> some of the Hispanic dudes are tied to prison gangs in prison because uh, at Preston's by Tracy, kind of not too far away. If you were an adult commitment, you were fucking up, they would send you to Tracy. Uh, they sent one dude there, and he got killed. You know, uh, He went there, thought he was going to run shit, and they killed him. So, I mean, uh, that's what I was living around in Preston uh, before I got out. So I was exposed to uh, – I actually had a friend down from uh, from Compton, the uh, Chicano dude, and he's like, yeah, Holmes, uh, give me a call when you get out, you know? And so I got out and I called him. He's like, yeah, come on up. We'll go do some robberies, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll go surfing. But he's like, yeah, we'll go raw and do some. <laughs> I said, it's all good, bro, you know? But I nice. didn't come up on that. But, uh, you know, I mean, you know, that's the kind of shit that I was now was just getting elevated. It's uh, increasing in severity, the criminal mentality. Um, and, you know, the thing with me is, like, I grew up around uh, – scooter tramp bikers and so shooting dope was uh against the rules you know yeah and uh especially like heroin shooting dope because the thing is you know you shoot dope it makes you weak so uh um that was kind of out of the question for me but uh when i got out of preston um i just turned 17 a month uh, for about a month not even a month and, uh, you know, I wanted a motorcycle, so I got a motorcycle. And, uh, you know, I, I was just running amok, and I ended up living with uh, my friend 
and his mom, who's a biker chick, uh, they're slinging crank. I'd never been around crank, uh, just whites, you know, and reds and all that shit. So, uh, you know, I snorted some crank, first time ever, blew the top of my head off, just thought it was the best shit in the world uh, until I had to come down. And then I was like, man, this shit, this is rough, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so I had, a, I had a picture in my head of, you know, all the guys I knew that were in clubs, and you know my homeboys were all building motorcycles. Uh, they, I had a group of guys I grew up around as a little kid up into my teenage years. Uh, they were all buying like Triumphs and BSAs and little flathead forty fives, and they were making choppers out of them. A uh, friend was a welder; he, you know, stretched the frames, all that shit, and. Yeah, and yeah. they were all pretty cool guys. None of them guys ever got involved with motorcycle club shit. And they were just good guys and liked to ride. And, uh, you know, and they, I was the youngest one out of that whole crew. The oldest guy was like 26. I was 17. <clears throat> but, you know, they would, and they, I, but I had this picture in my head like, hey, I want to, I want to do the deal. I want to be, you know, all that, you know, so. I started selling crank, uh, you know, and, and I started buying guns, flipping guns for money and speed, you know, crank and, you know, buying hot merchandise for one connection, buying a different kind of hot merchandise from my other connection. And then, you know, guns were always a big seller. Uh, I had someone that would buy guns and take them down to Mexico. You know, Mexico at the time, <clears throat> the cartel shit wasn't really, they didn't have access to the, the money and the guns and shit like they have now. So you could take a single shot, 22 rifle down to Mexico and sell it. You know, yeah. I mean, they'd buy any gun you could get. So that's my, that's what I was doing, you know, and I was snorting crank and drinking whiskey and just. Uh, so you just continue to elevate your game, learn more, elevate, learn yeah. more, get more involved, and yeah. and then then you know you got you got popped for the uh, for the murder, and that was it, right? And then yeah, where, where'd you where'd you end up? Uh, uh, what state prison did you end up at? Uh, pretty much all of them, you know, oh. at one time or another. I mean, I did thirty eight years, you know, and, yeah. and uh, when I went to prison, they didn't have a point system. They they classified you by your age and your crime. Um, uh, you know, I, I went to Chino. I got a stabbing. I went to the shoe. Uh, you know, I ended up in, in the shoe unit for like four and a half years. And, uh, you know, I went through San Quentin. Um, and then uh, my, my counselor's like, you know, I want to, <clears throat> my counselor's like, hey, look, I got a new counselor. And she ended up becoming a director of corrections later on. But, um She's like, hey, look, you know, if you give me a year clean, I'll get you out of the hole in the shoe. And I go, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm like, well, you know, all you fucking cops uh, say this, that, and the other, but your fucking word's no good, you know. And she goes, my word's good. You give me a year clean, and I'll get you out of here. So I go, all right. <clears throat> you know, I was young, you know, like if the cops did something, uh, gave us bad food, whatever, we'd burn, flood, throw shit and piss on the cops. You know, they'd sell, extract you. I mean, like if they didn't pass out the mail or, 
you know, if they gave us like rotten milk for breakfast or, you know, one time they had this uh, uh, turkey a la king. They got that fake turkey loaf shit and there were maggots in it. And, oh, man. And they were serving big chunks, you know, like never before. Like, you want more? And I'm like, fuck it, you know. And it was a newspaper article in the San Quentin newspaper talking about the maggots in the turkey loaf. And you could see the maggots in it. They still cooked it anyway and served it. I mean, that's how prison was. I mean, they didn't give a fuck about you, you know. But And you're so hungry. You're in the shoe. You're in the hole. I was just like, fuck it. Load up my tray, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, so... I got a lot of, then they came out with a point system. So all these write-ups I was getting, um, you know, it compacted. My points went up like 164. Um, but after a year, I told my counselor, you know, Susan Hubbard was her name. And I, I said, hey, I got a fucking year clean. And you gave me your word you get me out of here. So what's up? And, uh. Man, she took me in, the, in her office, took, you know, back then you were, you know, if you're in a hole, you're shackled. She took my shackles off and I'm like, wow, you know, my hands are free. I'm not all chained up, you know, and, and uh, she told the cop, he'd take his handcuffs off, you know, and she's like, I'm going to try to send you to Soledad, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right. And uh, <clears throat> so a couple months go by, I go, hey, what the fuck's up? You know, you said you'd get me out of here. You gave me your word and. And she's like, man, I put you up for Soledad like three times and they don't want you. <laughs> and, uh, oh, wow. you know, because I had gotten some violence and, you know, a bunch of, I got a lot of write-ups, you know, and a lot of trouble. So she goes, look, I'm going to put you up to go to Vacaville. They have a thing called a security housing decompression unit. It's called a Category V. So for guys that have been in the hole, it's like the, transition you back to living on a main line that was what yeah, the idea yeah. of the program was and uh i was like all right fuck it you know she goes but listen if you go there and you fuck up and they send you back here you're not getting out of here for at least another five years you know uh that's before they built all these new prisons you know yeah so it goes think about it and let me know so i told her a week later yeah go ahead and shoot it you know so um I got out of out of there, went over, I spent a few months in the hole there, and then they let me go out to the main line there. That's the first righteous, you know, main line. Uh, it was a security housing unit, uh, decompression program. And but they also had the category X, which is a 90-day observation for lifers, category T, it's a two-year program for lifers. And I started meeting all these dudes that were lifers, been to the pen. Some of them got busted in like 70, 73. So they, they're older guys, been down longer than me. And uh, I met one of them. It's a friend of mine still to this day. He's, he's in a bike club out of L.A. And uh, I was like, he's like, we went to a group. We're in the same group, you know, for a while. And and, he, and after group, he goes, hey, because that guy's pretty cool. Huh? He's talking about the counselors. You know, they were actually psychiatrists. Who had worked on death row and mm-hmm. so now they're doing this program for us and they were really pretty interesting guys they were pretty smart you know they're older dudes uh free staff you know and and so my friend goes hey man them dudes are pretty cool huh i go yeah you know i was kind of guarded in my answer but he was letting me know it's it's okay to get something out of this fucking program 
you know, as time went on, he would tell me, hey, look, we got to do this shit if we're ever going to get out, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got, that's when I, you know, and when I was in the shoe, I used to draw a lot. Um, so when I got out of the, uh, out on the main line, I got in a hobby. I started woodworking. I started, I took milling cabinet, vocational milling cabinet. Um, they had hobby shops back then where you could go down to the hobby shop. They had all the woodworking machines, all the jewelry making shit, all the ceramic stuff, but you had to buy all your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I had to buy all my own wood, glue, lacquer, you know, everything, hinges, some tools, hand tools. So I started getting into that. And plus uh, I started tattooing and, you know, drawing and painting and shit, you know? Yeah. You got to have a hustle while you're there, man. doesn't matter. Uh, you know, what, what it is, whether, you know, you're cutting hair, you're drawing tattoos, yeah. you're making, you know, the, the Mexicans, yeah. you know, the, the one thing that I, I always say is, you know, there's so, there's so many talented, uh, men, uh, and, and women too, that yeah. are locked behind these, the high, behind the walls. You know, right. I saw so much, so many talented people. And when I, in my journey through, you know, yeah the, the places that I went, yeah. You know, well, you know, you, you, uh, you got to figure like all these guys, like I hooked up my celly, dirty Dennis, he's from Oakland. He's passed away now, but, uh, he came from Folsom and he worked in the wood room in the hobby shop in Folsom. So he's like, Hey, you know, he would give me a lot of game. And, and so I was making jewelry boxes, clocks, wooden toys, you know, uh, and they had a store out front where you could sell it to the general public and the staff. And the money went on your books, and the state took 10% for inmate welfare. But uh, that was one thing I was doing. And then uh, also, like I said, I was tattooing, and then I was also involved with, you know, illegal shit still. Because I was still, you know, snorting crank and smoking weed, drinking wine. You know, that was part of the routine. Uh, well, yeah, because you're making, you're making good money off your art and, and all this other stuff, so you got money to, to spend, right? No, actually... No. Um, I didn't spend money on drugs, you know. No, <laughs> no, we had our own drugs. Yeah, yeah, so, All right. yeah, yeah. So I actually made money off drugs. All right, and I used drugs, you know, crank and weed, and you know, I made wine. We drink wine, and you know, so I'm doing that, and uh, you know, my celly got a date. He was a lifer with a double murder, and uh, so I, I was a kid still. You know, he's the old biker dude from Oakland, and he's like, you know. Uh, he had come and asked me, hey, man, I want you to move in with me. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. You know, I lived in a dorm at the time. Yeah. He's like, well, why not? I'm like, well, you know, you got a drug, you know, you get the dope sack, man. And you got shit going on. And I got, you know, I got a little bit of shit going on. But, you know, I, I didn't want that shit to interfere with our friendship. You know, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the next day he comes and he goes, hey, you tell me one guy in this prison, I should move in my cell besides you and I'll move him in. On your word, I'll move that guy in myself. And so a couple of days went by, and I, I went to him, fuck it, I'll, I'll move in, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was, you know, and I learned a lot from him and my other friend I chose in bike club. Uh, I learned a lot from them guys, you know, and, and I was still fucking up. I went back to the hole a couple of times, and, and uh, one time, actually, they were going to transfer me back to San Quentin, and this guy, still a friend of mine today, he came down to the hole and they let him talk, yell down the tear through their grill gate. And he goes, hey, what the fuck's wrong with you? You know, because I figured I was going back to San Quentin. I was in there raising hell, you know, burning. And 
fucking with the cops, you know, calling the cops out like, hey, step in my cell, all that shit. And uh, there was a deputy warden there that worked his way up from CEO to deputy warden. His name was Bill Nyberg. He's passed away now. But, uh, you know, he loved us, man. And, and he gave us a chance, you know, to be there and program and do what we had to do to try to get out of prison. And so my friend yelled down the tear, hey, write Nyberg a letter and give him your word, you know, wah, 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 and tell him I told you this and that and the other. And so I shot him a kite and I go, hey, so-and-so told me to write you. And, you know, if you let me go back to the housing unit, uh, you got my word, I won't fuck up. So about two weeks later, they let me out of the hole and and uh, I was in, the, I was in the, the unit, you know, and, and this little guy comes in with a bald head and, and he goes, where's this guy Smiley at, you know, and, and uh, guys, you know, I went in a cell with him and he goes, I go out to me, thank you for giving me a chance, you know, to come out here and program and, and uh, he goes, you got one chance. He goes, if you fuck up, I'm going to send you to a pit. You understand what I'm saying? I said, I understand exactly what you're saying. So a pit, that was Folsom. Yeah. They call it the pit or the end of the road, you know. Mm -hmm. So that dude, uh, there was a bunch of us there, man. We were Nyberg's kids, you know. And uh, if we ever had a problem, we just contacted him and he straightened it out, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. What, uh, what, at what point did it did it turn around for you? Where you just, you know what I mean? Because I know that I, I have, I never did a long period of time. I mean, three years yeah. was the max that I've I've done. I mean, probably five years in total, but but yeah. three years and, and it was the longest stint. And like for me, it was it was really not enough time for me to be able to to touch down, get familiar. By the time I got comfortable, it was time to go. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, for me, it was a progression, you know. I mean, I'm a teenager, and I'm in my early 20s. And so when this stuff's going on, you know, a couple of them dudes are like, hey, look, what do you want to do, man? You want to be in and out of the hole? Or do you want to stay out here and party, have a good time, and make money? I said, I want to stay out here and party and have a good time and make money. They said, all right. So they taught me how to do that. And, like, my Sally Dennis, you know, he's like, hey, you stay clean by being dirty. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? His theory was, you know, if you got dope on you, you're dirty. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get in the cop's face. You're not going to do anything stupid uh, because you're dirty. And so you're going to acquire a lot of clean time as far as write-ups and all that because, you know, you can't afford to get jacked, you know. But uh, So I started, like, developing some clean time and staying out of cop's face and learning how to live, you know. And then, um, you know, later on in life, uh, you know, I, I went to Tracy when I left there, I went back to San Quentin and they made it a level two. So I bounced over to new Folsom and then Tracy, the parole board sent me to Tracy to, uh, finish my vocational milling cabinet. That used to be a vocational prison basically. And, uh, you know, I finished my trade milling cabinet and I started working PIA wood factory, you know, hobby, still slinging dope, doing this and that, you know, whatever. I got married, was having family visits, you know, have a daughter, uh, you know, so there's a baby in, involved. So, you know, that kind of changes you. You're a little more careful. Even though you're doing dirty shit, you're, you're a little more careful. And I, I got deeper into my art, my tattooing. I actually wrote a story that was published in Tattoo Review Magazine uh, 
issue 29 about tattooing in prison. Uh, you know, I, I just started kind of, I had like a limited amount of friends, you know, and most of them were biker dudes from the street. And, uh, I just started getting into me and mine, you know, and, and, uh, you know, things, uh, life gets a little easier, you know, and then I got transferred down to Donovan for a program and, uh, from there, I ended up in Corcoran, level four yard, three B yard. And I started realizing, man, um, uh, you know, like uh, when I was in Corcoran, I was doing some dirty shit with this friend of mine, and he got busted. And uh, I thought, man, look, you know, this is when I started realizing, you know, I'll probably never go home, but I'm not going to give him a bullet. Like, I'm not going to put a bullet in the gun, you know, to shoot me with, right? Yeah, so I had yeah. to go to board, and they're going to deny me parole because that now Pete Wilson's a governor, right? So, but I'm not going to make it easy for them. They're going to have to deny me on bullshit, basically, you know? Yeah. And uh, so here I am trying to be cool, trying to do this and that and the other, do my artwork. Uh, there's no art. There's no hobby or nothing in Corcoran. So uh, when my far, my friend got busted and went to the hole, I said, man, you know, all my friends are gone. All the older cats I came up with are gone. And the thing is, if you're not having fun, you're not making money, and you're still fucking with drugs, and you're just a fucking dope fiend, you know? And uh, so I flushed a quarter ounce of speed down the toilet, uh, 97, right there in Corcoran. I said, fuck it, I'm done, you know? Yeah. And, uh, as far as that goes, I ain't never looked back. I, I haven't fucked with it since, you know? Uh, and Good then for I got, you, man. Yeah, I got transferred over to uh, Lancaster uh, Level Four Prison. Dad Hobby. Uh, I started communicating with the the Catholic chaplain. He was from Ireland, man. He was really super cool, old school guy. Uh, you know, I started going to the chapel more, and uh, he got me a job in arts and corrections. So I worked in arts and corrections for like five years. Uh, my job was to do artwork. And, and for the program and teach guys how to paint, you know. So at one time I would have like 10 guys in there painting all different races. And uh, we would sell the paints at auction every year for a charity. And we give the money to the Children's Center of Antelope Valley where they help uh, abuse children and their mothers. And uh, so I, not only were these guys learning how to paint, but for myself and them, uh, you know, most of us are selfish motherfuckers, and that's why we're in prison, you know. Uh, they would spend hours and hours and hours on a painting, and then they had to give it to me for the program to auction off. So we were learning, all of us, you know, to be a little selfless, you know. Yeah, yeah. And to give back a little bit. And uh, the last sale we did, we made like 9000 bucks, you know, and it, everyone was like, fuck yeah, you know, and. And also there was a line of communication there because we had all different races of guys in there learning how to paint. And it was a pretty bitching program, you know. That's cool, man. That yeah. sounds like that sounds like something that uh, you know, did so did that help to sort of like I I don't know. I I just think uh it's hard. It's hard to imagine spending that much time in in those in those places. You know what I mean? For yeah. even somebody who's been there, like it's it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine that day in and day out. And then also the you know the moving around all the time. You know, yeah. diesel therapy is what they would call it in uh, you know in the federal print and feds. Yeah. Um, 
and it, it just uh you know it's amazing that you made it out first of all so yeah it is it is it is you know at that time uh my program was pretty solid i mean it's a level four but i get up in the morning go to work in arts and corrections i come home you know at dinner time basically mm-hmm. come in there all day and uh but like my boss, when I first started working in there, you know, they buy all the art supplies. So basically they own all the art that's done in there because they they own all the supplies. And that's the program you learn. You know, that's what it is. And so the first budget, I go, hey, how much is our budget? She goes, uh, well, uh, you know, eighteen hundred bucks. And at that time, I was the only guy allowed in there unless yeah. we had an outside instructor come in for an art class. And so we had the first art sale. It was all my art. We made like five grand. And she was like, oh, my God, man, we never made that much money. And she was just blown away. And so I go, how much is our budget this year? And she goes, nine grand. Spend it all. And and it's just like, you know, I had carte blanche to order whatever I wanted. And I ordered shit. And all the guys before me were buying art supplies and trading it for drugs. That's Mm -hmm. why she was leery at first, you know. And so I bought gallons of paint. You know, buckets of brushes, all the shit that, you know, they they used in supplies for like five or six years after I had left, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah. so and then I heard her some guys are complaining about the program and they want to have music in there and this and that. And I, they felt like I was cock blocking them. And and I walked in on her telling them, hey, that dude and she was referring to me has busted his ass in here to make this program what it is. And if it wasn't for him, there would be no fucking program. Cause she was on the minimum yard. I ran the shop, you know? Yeah. So to have that budget thing and hear her saying that shit to me, it just, she had a level of confidence in me and trust that I developed with her that, that I was like, yeah, that that's good shit. That's what life's really fucking about, you know? And that, yeah. That must've felt good considering yeah. all of the other experiences that you've had with authority in the, in the past. Right. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, uh, this is from the Antelope Valley Press, you know, Inmate yeah. Paints, uh, World Beyond Fences, you know, and then that's, that's me. Awesome. And then there's a there's a L.A. Times. Let's see which way the camera go. That's me painting an icon, you know. Yeah. We had news media come in there, film us. We had the man show came in there. We had, you know, newspaper articles. It was bitching shit, man. Yeah, that sounds cool. You know. Yeah. So I want to ask a question. You know, you spent the majority of your your life behind bars. Right. Did you ever experience a bottom of any kind while you were there or or what yeah. was the hardest thing you had to deal with? Um I you know, I was gonna say like while this was going on, uh Gray Davis wrote an article in the LA Times that said if you're in prison for murder, uh or, you know, you got a life sentence, you're going to parole in a pine box. And Pete Wilson had the same mentality. He just never came out and said it, you know. So after a while, I, while I was in Lancaster, uh, you know, I just felt like, you know, fuck this. You know, I used to just go home and pray for death, you know. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy that's going to take myself out. You know, I always, you know, but uh, I used to pray for death. Like, man, just end this shit. Know, really um and sincerely wanted that you know yeah i just felt like man this is even going down to a level three or level two this is the best as it's ever gonna get i'm gonna be able to do my art 
because um, they took so much away from us. You know, they took they took everything from us. They took our family visits. They took our weights. They took packages from home. They just took everything from us. And so I thought, you know, this is just this is just uh, a miserable experience uh, in existence. You know, no matter what I'm doing, no matter how positive my program is with the art. I had a halfway decent radio. I love music, you know. Um, this is it, you know. I, I'm a fucking biker, man. I grew up around bikers, and even if you're not with the motorcycle club shit, man, you still you want to ride motorcycles. You know, it's it's a sense of freedom, man. That you, you unless you've done it, you really can't understand it. Um, you know, I just uh, I just. The only way I figured I was going to get out was to die, and, and I wasn't looking forward to spending another 20, 30, 40 years in prison and then dying in there. And that's what I figured my existence was going to be, and it was pretty bad, you know. What turned it around? Uh, well, you know, I went down to level three, <clears throat> and then I went down to level two, uh, and I went to San Quentin. And I thought, well, they had a hobby shop. Guys are doing woodwork. Uh, it was pretty loose. You know, San Quentin, you know, I still had the mentality back in the old days, San Quentin, that if you could get it to your cell, you could keep it. <laughs> Guys had their cells paneled with wood. <laughs> they would take their beds out, their metal frame beds, uh, and send them out and have big, giant pillows made that they would sleep. It was just uh you know, so that's my mentality, San Quentin. So when I got there, I started, you know, I tiled my floor in my cell with linoleum tile. I painted a fucking mural on the wall, the ceiling, my cell. And, you know, and I, and, uh, I just thought, man, this is it. I'm, I just, I said, look, if I'm going to die in this motherfucker, I'm going to, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in the shoe. Uh, it ain't this guy or that guy's fault that I'm in here. Uh, and, you know, I started going to Catholic Mass. And, you know, I started a lot of Orthodox Christian literature, but they don't have that in there. So I would go to the Catholic services, very similar. Um, <clears throat> I just thought, you know, I'm going to make sure when I leave this fucking place, I'm going to be as right as I can with my, uh, my higher power. And I'm going to enjoy my artwork, my music, a couple of friends. We're in the same boat. We're never going to get out. And this is what I'm going to do until I die. You know, uh, I'm not going to fucking, I made my bed. I, I got to lie in it. So I'm not going to sit around and, and uh, live in that self pity bullshit, you know, that I had in the past. And, and, uh, so I got into my art, you know, and I got into, uh, you know, I hadn't used jack shit for quite a few years since 97, you know, I've been clean. This is like 2006, 2007, uh, and I say, yeah, I'm clean and sober, you know, but, uh, really I was just sober, you know, I still had a pretty shitty outlook on a lot of stuff, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, in 2011, uh, I started, I had a route for getting tobacco in there, you know, tobacco's illegal. Mm. And I, and I like, Hey, you know, it's not drugs. It's just tobacco. No big deal. Right. It's legal. So I started smuggling tobacco and, uh, I got, uh, I figured out how to get, like, you could have hobby orders sent in from the street. So I manipulated that where I could order, like, some tubes of paint and a few brushes from 
you got to get your shit from the vendor, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but I would get like quarts of paint and, you know, a hundred paint brushes. And I get, they have a limit on how much money you could spend. I was getting paint brushes that cost like $200 for one paint brush. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, I'm never getting out. This tobacco stuff's not going to last forever. So I'm going to buy enough art supplies to last me 10 or 15 years. You know, that was my <laughs> mindset. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I was getting shit to silk screen with. I was getting wood and all this stuff. And and these guys are watching me in a hobby shop. You know, these guys that think they're, you know, they got, they've been down maybe 10 or 15 years. And, you know, I've been over 30 years and whatever. And, and uh, they're, they're just like, they have this mentality that they're, they're the shit. They're like above the fray. And I'm, you know, and, and they're not. They're fucking, they're, they're turds. You know, they're lames, really. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I used to fat mouth them, uh, you know. So they basically, the envy and, you know, it's not really even jealousy. It's just envy, you know. They fucking told on me, you know. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, here I am getting all these art supplies in there and they, and they got to go through arts and they would go to arts and corrections. It wasn't like when I was in Lancaster, they had no respect for the program. They would just rake the fucking place so they could get shit. So instead of getting a hustle like me and figuring out how to get shit, they would just rake the programs that other guys should have been able to get, you know, so their envy and shit, uh, led them to tell on me. And, uh, I got busted. Uh, I lost. I was selling tobacco for stamps, actually, and then selling the stamps on the street for eight dollars a book. So I lost fifteen hundred books of stamps. Uh, staff in San Quentin at that time, if you if they didn't like you, which they didn't really care for me and what I was doing, uh, they let them guys loot my shit before they packed up my property. So I sat in the hole for five months. And I got transferred to Soledad. Uh, I asked my counselor, how come I can't go back out to the yard? And he laughed. He goes, all them dudes told on you, man. They don't want you back out there. <laughs> so uh, while I was in the hole, guys started going home. Lifers. That was 2011. And uh, so I got transferred to Soledad. I got my property. The only thing I really got that they didn't steal from me because I wasn't there. You know, they do shit behind your back. They won't do to your face, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. They lose your shit. I got my, I had a Sony sport boom box, you know, fuck. I was like, fuck. Yeah. I got my radio, you know, I had bought that for a can of tobacco, you know? And, uh, <laughs> uh, so I had my radio, but all my art supplies had been looted. All my fucking CDs, all everything you got to value. They just loot, you know, it's just like, what a bunch of fucking, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. That sucks because that's all you got, man. You know what I mean? And it's your life, you know. You know, it's your life. And you know, I was kind of later on. I, I think I was thankful I didn't go back to the yard because I I would have stabbed them dudes. You yeah. know, I I was actually sitting in the hole thinking when I get out I'm gonna get a piece and I'm gonna go stab this guy in the fifth tier and I'm gonna stab this guy in the third tier and I'm gonna stab that. I was just gonna work my way down and stab them dudes and then fucking go out the yard. So I was grateful that I didn't go back to that, to that building. I got transferred to Soledad central and I ran into this guy that I'd known. And he goes, you know, Smiley, uh, 
He goes, you know why that happened? And I go, why? And he's like, because you haven't turned your life and your will over your higher power like you're supposed to 100%. And he goes, you're sober, but you're not fucking clean. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, yeah, you motherfucker, you know, but I go sit on the bleachers and realize, you know, he's right. He was right. You know? Yeah. You're still toxic, uh, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like people that'll shoot it to you straight. You know, I don't fuck with people that beat around the bush or, you know, um, so I thought, you know what, uh, guys are going home. Uh, I knew I was going to get a five-year denial, so I went to board. I got a five-year denial for that, for that tobacco. They're like, come back in five years. So um, I thought, well, I made about 30000 bucks off that tobacco. Break that down into five years. What's that? You know? Yeah. It's not much. Five, five grand a year. Yeah, if that, right? So yeah. uh <clears throat> I just decided, you know, I'm going to fucking get out. And then I got, I got Valley fever there at uh, Soledad. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a fungus. It's actually a prehistoric fungus and it's in uh, central Valley. It's on the coast it's in Arizona too. So when they dig the soil, this fungus gets in the air, you breathe it, it reactivates, starts eating a hole in your lung. It'll eat like one of my friends got it, ate its way up his spine into his brain and, It'll attach to your organs and start eating your organs. It'll, it'll kill you. You know, guys die from it. Yeah. So I lost like 60 pounds in a month. Uh, you know, they caught it. It stayed within my lungs. So I took uh, antifungal drugs that made it go dormant. If it gets out of your lungs, you have to take medicine for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. So then they, they're like, well, there's lawsuits now on medical in California prison system. Uh at one time, they had like 180,000 guys in California prison system, and one guy a week was dying due to lack of medical care. So they ordered the state to lower their prison population by a lot. Mm-hmm. So I got transferred over to CMC West, dorm living. I hated life. I had my art. I had to give up my radio, you know, because it's a dorm. Yeah. Uh, I had the. You know, because it was a, it's a high risk. They deem me as a high risk medical because I had Valley fever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I did a couple years there and I really hated it, man, because uh, they had, it's a level two. And the next step is level one, which is nothing, like no fence, you know? And, and you have all these guys doing like a year, three years, four years, and they're just like, you know, hard as a rock and twice as solid, politicking. You know, I'm like, really? You know, and, and none of them really want to do anything. They want to have some youngster do something and, you know, yeah, call tor- shots tor- on these Torpedoes. Kids. Yeah, you know, and they're having these kids remove people and and they're slamming dope, smoking dope, and, you know, and enjoying the benefits of being the shot caller. And none of them have ever done any fucking time anywhere. So, you know, I'm from San Diego, Dago, right? And so I had a... I had a youngster there who was a plumber, and he had gotten out of the hole. Before I got there, they used him to remove somebody. So I, I told him and my my other little homeboys, I go, hey, look, from now on, you don't do nothing on this fucking yard unless you ask me. If these guys tell you you got to put in some work, come and let me know, you know, because we're from San Diego. 
fuck these dudes. You don't do shit for none of these fucking guys. And, uh, you know, I had some knives put on the yard. And I'm thinking, man, it's a fucking level two. You know, but I had my youngster bring some knives. We put knives on the yard in case we needed them. And, and uh, you know, I had one homeboy, man, that uh, I told him, hey, look, you wanted to fuck some guy up. And they were telling me, oh, you can't do that. And I said, look, bro, not only are you from San Diego, you're a fucking biker and your dad's in a bike club. I go, you don't need to ask nobody nothing. One of these fucking scumbags pisses you off, you just beat his ass. And he was a little slow, and he and he told the shot caller, uh, yeah, my homeboy said I don't got to ask permission from no one. I could just do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> 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 and uh, the guy came and told me, hey, man, uh, did you tell so-and-so, you know, he, I said, uh, yeah, you know. And so, uh, you know, needless to say, I wasn't really liked that much by, uh, by them type of fellas there, you know, but... Uh, I did have a crew of guys, not just my homeboys, but some other guys that were like, they were digging it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because they weren't with the drugs and all the fucking lame shit, you know? <laughs> That's a little thing I got. I said, white powder, Holmes. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, all the super hard white dudes, they're just into drugs, bro. Yeah. It's all about the white powder, you know? So, yeah. for... You know, guys that are in, if there's any guys that are watching this right now, maybe in the same situation, you know, maybe, you know, they got some anger issues, don't know how to deal with, uh, you know, going through some hard times. Maybe they've been to prison. Maybe they've been, you know, to county jail and next stop for them may be prison. What would you have to, what would you say to them? Uh, you know what I mean? With all your experience inside and, and, you know, when I went in, I, I thought that I could just, solo go through and not click up and and like just mind my own business but that's not a possibility uh really? at least it well it wasn't it wasn't where i where i was you know what i mean yeah. and you know i ended up getting jumped by you know some Southsiders, and it was like all right well you know because i look like i'm hispanic but i i'm i'm white yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so it's uh yeah. it, it, i just i had no choice so uh, what would you what would you say to 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 that person? Well, I'd just say like you know, use your head. You know, be you know, be logical about shit. Like obviously, like if you're in a high level prison, um, you know, there's all the prison gangs are out of the shoe. They were locked up for like 30 years in California. Now they're all back out on the main lines, and uh, you know they set policies, whatever. Uh, we had policies in there when I was there, even when they were in the hole. But, uh, like, you can do your own shit, but you're going to have to earn your respect from people, you know. Like, if some lame's trying to tell you something, um, you know, figure it out. If he, if he righteously is just some lame trying to work you uh, like he's somebody and he's not, you should be able to figure that out pretty easily, you know. Um, fuck them. But if there's a dude on the yard who's serious shit, uh, you know, he's like a boss on the yard, whether he's in a prison gang or somebody gave him the keys to the yard, not some lame acting like he's got the keys to the yard. Um, you have different, you know, you have different types of guys running shit. Some guys are just dope fiends. They're about the chaos, the stabbings, 
and other guys are smart, you know, because they know stabbings, riots is bad for business, right? And so figure out who's running shit, figure out what the policies are and work within the parameters. You don't have to fucking click up, join a gang, any of that bullshit. Uh, find yourself a job, uh, whether it's vocational program or a maintenance job or an industry job, get a routine. You get up, you go to chow, you go to work, you come home, you shower, you go to dinner, you walk laps, work out in the night yard, and that's your day. That's your fucking routine. Don't break your routine and find one or two guys that you can do your routine with that aren't with the shit. You know, they're not fucking Dolphin who's going to get you in trouble because he ain't paid his debts. Ain't some scared motherfucker telling on everybody, right? Because then... They're going to come and tell you, hey, your boy's telling. You got to handle that because you're running with them. Yeah. If you're running with somebody who's telling, you're going to have to deal with that. You know, choose who you associate with wisely because it's going to reflect on your character, you know. But, you know, you can go to prison, uh, get a job, get a trade, get an education, do your own fucking thing. But if you're involved with drugs, you're trying to impress somebody you think is cool. You know, you're going to get in a wreck, you know. Uh, but, you know, like a lot of the policies in California prisons are there for a reason, you know. Yeah. Um, so were you were you were you there when the green wall or is the green wall still going on or were you there? Uh, the green wall thing was mostly in Salinas, but um, they had the same. That's basically where that came from. Mm-hmm. But like when I was in Corcoran, uh they had that mentality, you know. I'm going to tell you something. I was in the main line at Corcoran. Uh, I was on 3B Yard. Um, a lot of the shit that was going on was in the shoe. But, uh, you know, the FBI was investigating them and, and for all that shit at the time. We got treated pretty good, actually, because Corcoran was opened by old school guards. But uh, they, they definitely had, uh, if anything came on the news about Corcoran, they would slam us. And tear up all our cells. You know, that's just a retaliation move. Uh, they would instigate shit between the races. And then when there's a riot, you know, uh, the yard gets slammed for months at a time. I mean, it was there, but it was not like Salinas. Uh, I, heard, I heard a lot of fucking shit about Salinas, dude. It's just bad, bad, you know? Yeah, I had the whistleblower that wrote the book, The Green Wall, on my show not too uh, a while back. Right. Right. I, I DM'd him and I'm gonna try to yeah, yeah, I'm gonna try to get a, a shot with him on my channel. But uh yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, let, he gave let, up let, a lot to expose that, you know. Yeah, let um, me know, you know if, you need, uh, if you need huh? I said, if you uh, have a hard time getting a hold of him, let me know. I ta- I've, I've no, we were usually... actually going to do it last week, but he had some other stuff he had to take care of, you know? Oh, awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, it was a good, a good interview. You know, there, there are staff who've testified against correctional officers, moved out of state, and somebody went up there and tried to kill him. So, and it wasn't an inmate or an inmate crew. So, I mean, you know... It's a it's a serious serious deal, man. I mean, those guys' careers, their policies, their money—you fuck with their money, and and it's you know, 
you know, it's it's an ugly deal. I'm mean, so for that guy to testify against uh, his fellow employees that he worked with, you know, correctional staff. Mm-hmm. It's a serious deal, and uh, don't think for one minute, man, that, that you know that guy wore a bulletproof vest, and you know, so you know, he yeah, knew. he was, and and yeah, how he started it all was he, uh, it was that big riot. And he uh, he before when they he went he took pictures of people before they left so there was proof of anything that happened once he left his his uh, you know you leave leave my site you know what I mean and and so he yeah. got a lot of shit for that but I mean you know he, look hey, man you know. these yeah, guys got it bad right. enough you know yeah. I'm gonna tell you you know like you would think ah oh, you know guy in prison you know fuck the cops all that shit but that's not really the case you know i interviewed a guy silva he's retired he worked in tracy guy always treated us with respect gave us what we had coming you know if you worked in the kitchen when he was a kitchen cop he might give you a little something extra at the end of the day you know he was i mean he wasn't bringing those you know contraband in or nothing but like extra food or you know a little extra laundry you know shit like that's no big deal um but he he you know not all in staff in there are dirty you know, yeah. I remember one time they were tearing up San Quentin. They were tearing up. They were just throwing shit off the tier. We had a pile five feet high of shit on the first tier. They were throwing legal documents, typewriters, TVs, just throwing it off the tier. And and uh, <clears throat> there's a woman who's a program administrator, and she went up going to Sacramento. So her daughter worked there, and uh, she told this other uh, rookie female staff come on man let's get the fuck out of here she goes i heard her she goes this shit's illegal what they're doing let's get the fuck out of here and the the rookie chick she was like well you know what do i she goes look if they give you any shit just go talk to your union rep this is illegal so um not all them staff in there with the bullshit you know they know their job is to keep us there that's our punishment yeah you know they don't look at their job as a fuck with us as part of our punishment they know their job is to keep us there, and they know that being there is our punishment. Yeah. You know, and then you have other staff that they they have staff that have never had a job anywhere else. You know, when I went in there, yeah, guys that were in Vietnam vets, truck drivers, you know, whatever. They had other careers, and then they became correctional staff. You know, they, they got guys in there now that come from like uh, right-wing mentality, you know, fuck criminals and all that shit. They grow up with that, and then they, this is the only job they've ever had, and they think their job is to punish you by fucking with you, yeah. you know, and and especially now, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's fucked up, but there are some staff that are, that are not, they're decent, you know, they're just doing their fucking eight, and they're out, you know. Yeah, well, you were lucky you got out when you did. You missed the whole COVID thing and and all yeah. that stuff. You know, yeah. that there's a whole, there's a lot of folks that uh that died in San Quentin from that. Yeah, um, no, yeah, I, yeah, it's ugly. There's yeah. a lot of guys that got and didn't die, and a lot of guys that got and died. So, so I was uh, I was in CMC West for a couple of years, and uh, CMC East is cell living. It's across the way. I knew some guys over there, but like for white dudes, they were not supposed to go over there because they got they got guys over there that are bad, like uh, fucked up cases, whatever, and guys don't deal with it. So they deem that a bad yard, 
even though it's a, it's a general population mainline, you know? Yeah. And so uh, they opened up a program called Long-Term Offender Program. So what happened was the courts were letting out. They said, you got to lower your population. So CDC and the Governor Brown, they were letting out all these guys. They were coming right back. And then the court said, look, you got to let these guys out that got life terms. They're not, they don't have life without. They got 15 to live, 25 to live, seven to live. You got to let them out. And uh, so guys were getting out. And so the board designed a program called Long-Term Offender Program. So in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, the board designed this program. And they're saying they want lifers to go through this program. So, you know, one and one is two, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's why I'm saying if you go to prison and you're on your way to the joint, you're in a county jail or you know, use common sense. Be honest with yourself about what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Um, so the bottom line is, you know, if they if the board made the program, obviously they want you to do it or they're not going to fucking let you out. You know, and it, it was similar to the programs we went through in Vacaville back in the 80s, you know, uh, before they slammed the door. And so um, I told some guys, hey, uh, I'm going to go take that program. And they're like, ah, come on, man, you're not going over there. I say, I'm going to go over there. And then like a month later, I go, hey, I'm going to, I just took the assessment to go take that program. Like, ah, yeah, right. You know, quit fucking bullshit, you know. <clears throat> and then uh, about another month went by and I go, hey, I'm packing my shit right now. And I'm going over there right now, today. I'm packing my property and I'm going over there. If you got a problem with it, let's fucking go in the TV room and handle it. And they're like, uh, oh, it's all right, Holmes. We know you're a lifer. You know, you got to do that shit to get out. It's all good. So I shot over to the long-term offender program, which is like, you know, anger management, family relations, substance abuse. It was like six different categories, you know. <clears throat> and then uh, another guy came over a few months later and he goes, yeah, bro, as soon as you walked out the door, you were a no good piece of shit. <laughs> right? But I gave yeah. him the shot, like, hey. You got a fucking problem let's do it right yeah. now you know so that that that's how dudes are in there they'll pat you on the back hey bro what's up all right yeah and then as soon as you turn your back and some other guy got a problem with you they'll be calling you a piece of shit so when some guy's telling you that joey over there is a piece of shit just know that when he's with joey he's telling him you're a piece of shit yeah that's you know guys that do that that's how they are so, uh, yeah, I shot over there. I finished that program. And, uh, you know, eventually they let the guys out of the hole of the shoe. The shoe. And we had some Hispanic uh, prison gang members came there. And and uh, I remember he, he wouldn't talk to anybody but me and one other dude, you know, as far as the white dudes. But, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I got ready to go to board and uh, – my lawyer goes, hey, your your board commissioner is going to be Randy Grounds. Well, he was a warden at Soledad when I was there. And my, my lawyer's from uh, Monterey area, so she knew him. She did a lot of hearings at Soledad. And uh, I go, fuck, man, that dude's the worst. She goes, oh, no. I said, man, all these guys say that dude's terrible, worst board member ever. She goes, nah, man, nah. He's, she goes, he's just like you guys. I go, what, what the fuck do you mean he's like us? <laughs> so... You know, he was a Marine, yeah, yeah. He used to train ultimate fighting, you know, worked his way up to warden. Uh, 
She goes, unless your victim's a woman, a child, or a cop, you're good. Just be straight with them. So I went in there and uh, two two hours and 15 minutes in my hearing, and uh, he found me suitable, man. And I never had an easier board hearing, you know. And what are you thinking? What what, what are you thinking when they said that, man? Well, they find you suitable for parole, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> dude, I was just overcome by with emotion, you know. And, uh, you know, started crying like a little kid, and, you know. And so uh, he goes, he tells the cop, you know, have Mr. Smiley uh, wait in the hallway out there. I want to talk to him, you know. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh He's like a man's man kind of dude, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he tells me, he goes, you know, I could have denied you over that tobacco. I go, yeah, I, I know. You know, and he goes, don't ever take the easy way out again. And I said, you know, I won't. And he says, uh, he goes, you know, guys like you are our greatest asset. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and he goes, he goes, you got a story to tell. And I want you to tell it. He goes, and when you're able to come back in these prisons, I want you to come back in here and I want you to tell your story to these guys in here. And uh, I was just like, wow, man. You know, I was just, the whole time he's talking to me, you know, I'm fucking tears rolling down my face. And, you know, I was just like, man, thank you. You know, and uh, yeah, you know, it was just, uh, it was just a trip, man. I, you know, even though I'd done all the work, and, you know, in the hearing, they never asked me one thing about that program I went through. But I know, you know, looking back, they asked me questions about other things, and they could tell that I learned something from the program by the way I was answering the questions, you know? Mm. So. Yeah, you gotta, I, I can imagine, man, you just, the, the, the one, it's over. It's over. You know what I yeah. mean? It's finally over. Yeah. Um, well, I had to wait. 120 days for the pro board to review it. And then the governor has 30 days to review it. So here's another trip. Uh, you know, I had an ancestry DNA. I don't know if you saw that on my channel. I talked about that, but uh, my last year for my birthday, my wife got me an ancestry DNA and this guy pops up, says he's my cousin. I, I don't know. I mean, totally foreign to me. Don't know who he is. And uh, his DNA mat markers match mine like 1,800. And so my real cousin, his DNA markers only match me like 500. And my mom matches me like 3,000. So he calls me, you know, once we start communicating, he goes, I don't think I'm your cousin. He goes, I think I'm your brother. And, uh, you know, turns out he is. And he oh, shot wow. me some pictures of my dad who's passed away. When he was a certain age, you look at our photos, and I look just like him, you know. So, But anyways, while I was suitable, I get called over, and the sergeant goes, hey, man, you know this guy, so-and-so. I go, yeah. He goes, he a family member? Goes, yeah. I thought he was my dad, you know. Not my stepdad, but my dad. He split mm -hmm. when I was like a year and a half, two years old. I go, he goes, well, you got to stay away order. Because I wrote him, said, hey, I'm getting out, you know. I tell him, I don't want nothing from you. You know, I just want you to know I'm, I'm going to get a second shot at life. And so I go, what do you mean? He goes, you can't call him. You can't see him. You can't write him. You can't have any contact with him or you're coming back to jail. It's a stay away order. I go, all right. He goes, he, you wrote, he sent a copy of the letter I wrote him to the prison. 
And they go, it's been deemed normal contact. You're not in any trouble. I go, all right. So then, you you know, time goes by. And they call me over to the office again. Now it's a captain. He goes, hey, you know this guy? Well, I go, yeah. I go, I already know. He goes, well, he contacted the warden. I'm doing the warden's review. You got a stay away order, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, fuck, dude. So basically, he's trying to block me from getting out. You know? Wow. That's crazy. And uh, Yeah. And so... uh Later on that day, they call me in. They go, hey, uh, the governor took no action. You're going home next Friday. I go, wow. This is a Friday. Mm-hmm. So the weekend comes. Sunday, I go to uh, the chapel for mass, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going home, whatever. So I come back to the yard. And usually I could come back and go in the housing unit and go to my cell, even though if it's not an unlock. Because, I, you know, I just walk down the hallway, go right to my pad, you know. Like, hey, just wait for the unlock. I'm like, wow, that was weird. So I walk around. I go by the track, and I'm kicking it. Fucking riot jumps off. It's like Uh. over here, you know, and I'm on the track, you know. And uh, black dudes jumped on the whites. Then they jumped on some of the south siders. Now you got a big riot going with the blacks. You know, I think a couple guys, uh, at least one guy died. A bunch of guys got stabbed. It was ugly. And, uh. I was like, fuck, dude. So then they come and take everybody to the hole. Uh, the hole, they have walk-along cages, you know? So they got everybody, like, at 15 dudes in each cage. Then they start bringing buses on the yard. Everybody's going to ad seg. Even if you're out there on the phone, you're going to ad seg. I'm like, dude, this is Sunday. I'm going home Friday. So these lieutenants will walk by, and I'll be like, hey, dude, uh, Says my battery's running low. I'm gonna plug in. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm supposed to go home next fucking week, you know? And they're all <laughs> like, yeah, good luck with that. Oh. And, uh, so I gotta plug in my computer. So uh, two or three lieutenants go by. They're like, yeah, good luck, good luck. Finally, this lieutenant walks by, and he actually listens to me. And uh, there we go. He's like, I'm going to check it out. I'll get back to you. And then uh, my dorm officer walks by from when I was on the minimum yard, or the level two yard. I ran it down to him. You know, he goes, hey, that lieutenant's all right. His word's good. You know, I say, hey, can you co-sign me? This cop rides motorcycles and all that shit. And he goes, yeah, I'll talk to him. And then some other cop walked by. It was my other building officer on the level two. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll talk to him. So. Lieutenant comes by and he goes, who was with you, you know, when you're over on the track? I go, ah, that guy and that guy. He goes, all right. And he split. This shit happened like 11 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, four in the morning. We've been in the cages all day, you know. Here comes uh, V, my old building officer. He goes, hey, Smiley, come on. He goes, get that guy and that guy and let's go. I go, where are we going? He goes, you're going back to your cell. We were the only guys that got to go back to our cells. You know, oh, that's cool. I was just like, dude. <laughs> Everyone, I mean, they were bringing buses to transfer guys to Corcoran, Delano, because they didn't have enough room in Ad Seg there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just thought, man, because if I would have went to Ad Seg, you know, I mean, I, I would have lost my date, you know? Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. You, you, so you made yeah. it through this. You yeah. got out. You got your date. So Friday comes, and what's the first thing you do? 
Well, you know, I got a lot of shit, you know, like I got art supplies. I've been saving, using, I brought that shit home, all my stuff. I walk out to the fucking, uh, I'm paroling off the lockdown, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get a chance to shower, you know, so. Yeah, they gave my TV and my radio away, all that bullshit. And, and uh, I go out to the uh, administration building. I'm in R&R. And then I walk out to where staff come in and out. And I'm like, you know, it's open. Then my mom picked me up, drove me to L.A., you know, and I put my shit in their car. And, and uh, I'm like, fuck, this is a trip, dude. You know, so we, we took the Highway 1 down to L.A. And my my papers say, you know, report the first working day. Well, that's Friday, so that would be Monday. But I call, and they go, you bet some chick. She's like, you got to get down here tonight by 5 o'clock. And so I get to the parole office, and this black dude, he's like, hey, dude, it's Friday. I live three hours from here. You're fucking my weekend up. I go, well, look, you know, I've seen guys get violated for not reporting the same day. He goes, read the paper, asshole. It says the first working day. That's Monday. <laughs> so he pissed test me and all that shit. And he goes, get the fuck out of here. So I spent the weekend in a, uh, a Best Western hotel with my mom, you know, swimming, you know, eating pork chops at the restaurant and, you know, going to some shopping mall, get a few clothes, and you know, I had a phone. I was just like, dude, this is, you know, I yeah, walked out. You, huh? No, because you went in, and there was no, like, you missed the whole technology yeah. thing, right? I did have a cell phone in there, though, so. Yeah, all right, so you, you yeah. knew how to use it. Was it a smartphone? Yeah, the slider phone, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, but, so uh, you, you do a little bit of, of it, but, I mean, yeah coming out in like just seeing the difference in like how you know just society's growing like your yeah. your hometown like everything's grown it's bigger well, I, didn't, I didn't parole in my hometown i paroled to los angeles okay so i had wrote my daughter i said hey you know i'm i'm going aboard and then i wrote her and told her, i'm getting out well, she didn't open the letter she let it sit there for like a couple months and then she opened it and and was like, oh, wow. So she calls my, we were ex-wife at that time because I divorced her, you know, they took her visits and all that shit. And mm-hmm. I didn't think I was getting out. And, I, and so she wrote me a letter. She goes, hey, mom, they're letting him out. So I had gotten a letter for her, from her like two days before I got out. I had her email address, so I figured out how to send an email on my phone to her and she was going to college at the time. She's on her computer at home. And I sent her an email that said, uh, you know, I, I I just ate some pork chops for the first time in 30 years. So she gets that email on her computer while she's doing her, her homework, you know, for college. Yeah. So um, I went to the Francisco house, which is a transitional housing run by a, a Catholic nun, Sister Teresa, in Los Angeles. And uh, they got five houses. Um I was on uh, 54th in Vermont and South Central L.A. That's where I went, you know, and uh, I was there for seven months. I had some money. So after 29 days, I got a 2004 Dyna Lowrider Harley Davidson. Um, You know, then I started working uh, uh, with a, a job readiness program, like sweeping the sidewalks, dumping trash cans, you know. So I got to walk all over Los Angeles. Then I had a route. They gave me a route 
on Figueroa corridor by the college there. I think it's USC or whatever. And uh, it's pretty cool. You know, we're the only white dudes in the neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I asked this guy, what's it like living here? He goes, it's just like prison. I go, what do you mean? He says, if you want some, they'll give you more than you can handle. But if you don't want none, they won't fuck with you. And uh, it was, it was, it was cool. I actually was more comfortable in that neighborhood than going, I'd go to Santa Monica or Hollywood or, you know, venture out. I was, I was like, you know, people are a lot more, uh, less friendly and more, a little more kind of rude actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, in the ghetto, I live like yeah. two blocks from where the Rodney King riot started, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. but man, they're friendly, you know, uh, say hi, how you doing? Chat with you. Uh, I liked it, you know, really, uh, and then after seven months, I moved up here to the mountains with my wife, and we got remarried. And yeah. So tell me a little bit about Hard Intentions and your brand before we uh, close this out. Uh, we're about uh, an hour and twenty four right now, so oh, six wow. minutes. We'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up. Yeah. But- so this is uh, this is my artwork, and this is a print on canvas of a painting I did. Two oh wow, moons. that's nice. Uh, he was a native. He was a Cheyenne chief. Two moons. That's why there's two moons in there. Well, that's you know, beautiful, I man. Do that, and I got you know, this is actually a drawing I did uh, in San Quentin back in 1982. A pen, colored pencil, all that shit mixed. But uh, I have T-shirts. This is one of my shirts and my logo. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, Hard Intentions, and I also have a, uh, I also have a uh, a website, Hard Intentions. You know. This is an oil pastel I did in the joint. It's weird. It's not showing oh, some nice. of the colors. Some of it's like weird, transparent, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, that is the camera's strange. not picking it up right. You know, here's another painting I did when I was in the pen. I don't know how to get that. Wow, it's weird. Yeah, I have your uh, website on the bottom there. It's uh, hardintentions.com. Uh, yeah. Let me go ahead and and uh, pull us out here. This is the website, hardintentions.com, and you have all of your products uh, that you've got, your yeah. T-shirts and, and everything there. Yeah, we got T-shirts, artwork, you know. But, I, you know, I have a uh, YouTube channel, and we interview guys. I tell my story, and um, basically it's just, uh, you know, we talk common sense, you know. Yeah, this is the website, or this is your YouTube channel. Go to your home right there. Yeah, wow. You got that. You also got uh, your. T- you're on TikTok as well. Yeah, we got a couple things on there. Yeah, there's some yeah. of my tattoo work I did uh, on Sam down the hill. Yeah. And all and all of these links are, are we I got direct links in the description for this so you know everywhere awesome. that Mitch is you can catch him uh on those uh uh what on those direct links uh hook up with him you want to check out some of his artwork he does yeah. amazing work those those paintings are beautiful brother Thank you I just built the shed I'm in right now it's going to be my art studio so I'm going to start awesome. doing art and tattooing here uh yeah. You know, life's good, man. You know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't look back. I just look forward, you know? So any plans on going back and, and helping guys, uh, uh, you know, in, inside when you, when you get an opportunity to, 
Yeah, the COVID kind of messed that up. Now I have this uh, new variance of it. So they're kind of weird about who they, uh, letting people in. I yeah. do know some guys are going to San Quentin. And so we're, I'm working on that. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, you know, let me know too, because I have a nonprofit that I started. Uh, basically, it's called the Nowhere to Go But Up Project, and right. I'm working to build a program because the youth authority is closing its doors in 2023. You know about that, right? Yeah. All right. So everything's going back to the counties, and the counties are going to have to figure it out through either you know uh, community based right. programs or, or whatever they have. And so I'm building a a program right now to house and uh, mentor. Uh, 18 to 24 year old males coming out of incarceration, you know, either coming you from know, uh, I have a YA friend, or- uh, I have a friend, Jeff, he did the life sentence and we're going to start this thing called beat the boss. And that's kind of our goal is to go into schools and, uh, get a curriculum maybe of some kind. He's a pretty sharp guy. Uh, what's called the biker and a businessman. You know, he's, he's got a story. that's pretty incredible. So, yeah, that's something that I I am definitely interested in. Yeah, for sure. I have a 501c3 that I started. So, I mean, I am a a nonprofit. So, definitely, uh, I would like to hook up with you and, you know, try to, you know, facilitate maybe, uh, you know, connection, right? Yeah, you're not that far away either. Yeah, yeah, with what you're doing, with what I'm doing, and try to figure out a way to, uh, you know, because it's, 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 the government's not going to help us. The the states are not no. going to help us. You know what I mean? No. The, the people that are going to help are the people that are like myself, like you, who yeah. got out and have turned over a new leaf and have decided to, you know, turn your life around, basically, right? Yeah, and uh, like my friend Jeff said, you know, like, they can hire guys to go in there with uh, degrees and whatever, some nerdy, lop, lame, go in there and youngsters are not going to want to listen to them if they Mm -hmm. if they hear it from guys that have been there done that talk sensible shit man that that's who they want to hear it from you know yep because those guys don't understand what it was like to walk in your shoes you can't tell me anything because you've never walked a a, a one step not even a step in the shoes that i've been you know what i mean and so you can't learn that in a book and you know i've got a guy um his name was uh, David DeRocher, and he did. Uh, he was on a, uh, his last his last term that he was about to do was a fifteen year term, and he just like he he'd been in and out of of you know prisons and you know just couldn't couldn't keep it together, and uh, he went to the Delancey Street Project, and you know they gave him he gave him one shot, and he he made the most of that shot. He was there for like thirteen years, ended up running it, and got yeah. out. And now he he he's the executive director of another program called the uh, the Other Side Academy, but he did a uh, TED talk, man, and it was amazing. You know, talking about you know where he was and and what he did. And I went up there actually, and I visited that his program for like three days. I stayed up there. I stayed with the uh, you know, where the students stay at, and was able to engage in the programs and and learn like kind of everything that they had going on there. And it was uh, yeah. it was kind of an amazing uh, thing, man. Yeah, you so. know, uh, like my friend Jeff. You know, he went he he lives down south. He went into Coachella Valley School District. You know, and he and he said, you know, I see all your parents here. They're here. You're here for your children, and that's all cool. He goes. But I'm here for the kids that don't have parents mm-hmm. here, you know. 
And those are the guys, those are the kids, young men, women, who end up in prison, man, because there's no one there to give it to them. You know, what they need to hear, what they need to know, a little bit of direction can change a, a, a guy's life or a young lady's life forever. I mean, you know, and if it's a negative shit, it's going to change it for the worse. And if you give them maybe a little bit of positive uh, input can change their life for the better, you know? Yeah, it's the same reason why we do these live streams, you know what I mean? Because you never know who's going to watch it. You never know who you're going to help, who you're going to touch, yeah. who you may just give that one. You may have said the one thing that kept that person going one more day. Yeah, and that's you know? our thing with beat the boss. You know, in prison, you call a cop, hey, boss, what's up? You call a cop's boss, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's beat the boss, you know? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, you know what? I, I want to say thank you. I, I appreciate you uh, reaching back out and making this happen. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 dude, I'm, I'm just, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to like wrap your head around that, man, that amount of time. Right. But, you know, like yeah. I said, it's a, it's amazing that you made it through and that you were able to, you know, help somebody else on the other side. And I'm looking forward to the book, man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, in prison, I found my groove, got me through it. You know, I'm, I'm finding my groove out here right now. And, and, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Let, let's pleasure. stay in, let's stay in touch for sure. And, uh, yeah, you, you got know. my hook up. Yep. You do. And, uh, All right. For sure. Maybe I can have you on my channel talking about your nonprofit sometime. Yeah. Hit me up. I'm always available, always willing to, uh, you know, try to provide value and in, in, in wherever i can <laughs> that's right thank you have a good night thank you all right brother see ya peace all right well that was uh pretty amazing man i i you know like i said i have a hard time i had a hard time wrapping my head around uh 30 you know some odd years man that's that's quite a bit of time and you know it's just it's amazing that he made it through and you know i'm looking forward to following him more on his channels and with the uh things that he's getting ready to do and wow look at that all my having a having a wardrobe malfunction moment <laughs> all right guys well I definitely appreciate you checking out the the show tonight and uh I don't have anything lined up as of yet for next week so like I said I'm still back at work trying to figure out how to make all of this this you know work with uh my schedule so I appreciate you and as always uh keep it 100 stay true to yourself everything else is just noise You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.